Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So today is a really exciting show, uh, and it's it's extremely topical given that elections are coming up in November, and we have a guest from the Los Angeles Times, Robert Green. He's an editorial writer, and he covers all sorts of things from water issues to criminal justice reform to mental health and just general L.A. County government issues. Now, Sounds a lot a of his locals, Ander. It does sound a little local, and this is going to be. At first glance, more of a local episode than we usually cover. But for folks who have listened to our most recent podcast and have checked out our sheriff lookup tool online, you'll know that we are focusing a lot on local sheriff elections in the lead up to the to November because many sheriffs are in fact being elected over the country. Now, Robert Green has being an LA Times writer, focused on Los Angeles County and different counties in California. And we'll focus more local than we often do on this show, but the idea is a lot of these concepts are uh, generalizable. So issues related to constitutional checks and balances and what it means to directly elect an official that may have limited oversight or uh, in terms of coming from a different body of government. Robert Green is also involved with coordinating judicial election endorsements for LA Times, which if you listen to our episode on electing judges all the way back in 2016, you'll, <laughs> you'll know about. For those of you who have been around since 2016, thank you. Uh, the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll notice is, uh, Robert, it looks like based on your bio, you're a resident of Highland Park, which makes us neighbors. I live over in Glassell Park. Uh, so I'll say welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I will uh, I will look for you the next time I, I venture out of the house, which may be in another <laughs> yeah. six months or so. Yeah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and as a side note to our listeners, today is the 9th of September and uh, Xander and I are both looking outside to truly like Mad Max level apocalyptica. So uh, it is orange right now outside of my house. I know things are on fire down in L.A. Um, to everyone living on the Western seaboard right now, you know, and everywhere. But, uh, you know, stay inside, stay safe. You know, we're thinking of it now. I, I want to start off with a with a quote from 2014 from a an article you wrote in 2014, um, just to frame the conversation. Uh, you wrote about the sheriff election system or the sheriff position more generally that it's an odd system. The sheriff leads a paramilitary agency of uniformed law enforcement officers with the authority to arrest and use deadly force, but unlike his city counterparts, police chiefs who must report to mayors. The sheriff labors under no real oversight at all. He wears a badge, but is in fact a politician. So 
that's a thought-provoking passage to me. And I'm curious yeah. just to start off with what you mean by paramilitary force and how that's distinguishable from other police forces. I think if you think of law enforcement agencies, folks who carry weapons and have the power to make arrests and really are the only people in government to whom we give the power to shoot, to kill under certain circumstances. And you combine that with the fact that they have ranks and report to a chief or a sheriff in a a sort of military-like chain of command. That is a paramilitary kind of organization that you're not going to see in any other government agency. And it's because of those particular powers that they have and the fact that we in some ways want to keep them, theoretically at least, on a shorter leash than we do other government employees. Just by nature of having the monopoly of violence that we entrust to them in like the general sense? Yes, I think that's right. But also considering the fact that they wear uniforms and they wear badges and they carry weapons. Sure. And and the the second bit that stuck out to me there was the part that you that you and the editorial team wrote about oversight. What do you mean? that the um, the sheriff has no oversight, do not count the election to be a form of oversight. Well, it is a form of oversight, but it's going to, the, the value of that oversight by the voters is going to vary from county to county. So here in Los Angeles County, where there are 10 million people and you don't really know, you don't really have an opportunity to have an interaction with the sheriff unless you are part of a community that is subject to a lot of sheriff presence. So if you have a family member who's been arrested or is in jail, then you're going to know the sheriff and have some opinions about him. But for so many voters in Los Angeles County, the sheriff is sort of an abstract function, a, a fairly unknown person. And you really only ask yourself every four years, huh, do I feel safe? Yeah, I guess so I'll vote for the sheriff. Or do I not feel safe? I think I'll vote for someone else. Now, other places in California, you know, think of Alpine County. There, I mean, Alpine County has just over a thousand people. I mean, there are high school graduating classes in Los Angeles that are larger than Alpine County. If you live there, you know, you're going to run into your sheriff. You're going to know your sheriff personally, right? You will have gone to high school with that person or will know somebody who did. You'll see them at the local restaurant or bar. That kind of oversight is a little different. You can yeah. exercise a level of oversight there that I think that you can't in Los Angeles County or some of the larger Southern California or Bay Area counties. One one thing I'm curious about, and and to set up a bit of context, I'm going to state the obvious, which is that you know this year there is probably more interest and emotion regarding our relationships with our law enforcement officials, police officers, etc., than in a then since I've been alive, you know, then in, then in my generation. And what that might suggest is that, you know, there's a lot of attention, there's new attention being paid to uh, who is the sheriff? What do they do? You know, who's the city police chief? What do they do? What are their policies? How have they acted? That people might be doing more research. They might be educating themselves better. They might be interested in, you know, in, in bringing for, you know, in who the, the, challenger is to the incumbent. I don't know if you have any insight on this, but have you seen, you know, in LA County, higher interest than in the past in providing oversight or or at least attention to the sheriff? So there's definitely a lot more interest 
in the sheriff for several reasons. Number one is what you just talked about, that this is a, a year in which interest in law enforcement and the presence of police and the function of police has gotten deep notice, as you said, in a way that it hasn't before, at least in in our lifetimes. In Los Angeles County, this is an off-year election for sheriff, but the kind of attention that you're talking about is definitely present in the district attorney's election, where a second-term incumbent is running for re-election. And all those issues that come to bear when you're looking at your sheriff, who in most places in the United States, the sheriff runs the local jail, plus the sheriff is responsible for law enforcement, if not in all of the community, then much of it. So a lot of those same issues are being looked at in Los Angeles in the context of the district attorney's election. But they really are, in many ways, parallel issues. Um, and just to clarify for our listeners, uh, the sheriff in L.A. County is not, in fact, running for re-election in, in 2020. Uh, it runs on a different cycle here. But there are sheriff elections that will occur in November all over the country, right? Correct. Correct. And let's see. In, in California, sheriffs are elected because the state constitution mandates that they must be elected. I want to use this as an opportunity to transition into this other article you wrote that basically said why Angelinos don't know how to vote for a sheriff. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but you outline a really interesting history on the office of sheriff, which as native born Angelino, I still live here. I'd never heard it. But first, I'll, ju I'll just ask, do you know if other counties outside of California are... Sorry, let me rephrase that. Do you know if in other states their constitutions also mandate sheriff elections or does it really vary widely by state? It varies, but it doesn't vary all that much because it's in the California Constitution because it traditionally is part of our heritage to elect sheriffs. It comes down from England, actually, where the sheriff was an appointee of the crown, of the king or the queen. And then in the United States, it's the people who were sovereign. So the people took over the function of appointing the sheriff. So if the people appoint the sheriff, that means they're electing the sheriff. So so it's it's common. It's it's not in every county in the country, but it's in most for sure. So then using that to transition to the history, apparently for almost a hundred years, there is this strange off-cycle appointment process. That was going on with the sheriff's office in Los Angeles and the board of supervisors. Would you mind starting all the way back in nine? I feel like we're finding ourselves in the early 20th century a lot this year. But um, if we start all the way back in 1914, how did that develop and what has changed in the last 20 years or so in L.A.? Sure, I, I, I will. And if you don't mind, I'll go back just a little bit further even, because uh, before 1914, uh, Los Angeles County really was literally the Wild West. It was literally a place where the sheriff would ride a horse, where they would deal with cattle rustlers and, and that kind of thing. So at the turn of the century, as, as California, outside of San Francisco, which was already an urban area, but as Southern California became a little bit more urbanized, it was a, a time when they started looking at updating uh, how, the, how the sheriff operates. But in, in L.A. County in the 1890s, I mean, it was basically four cowboys over the course of about 15 years who who were rivals and affiliated with different political parties who kind of wow. uh were elected and then tossed out and then and then 
ran again for sheriff again. They, this sort of interchanging that period. And that changed, as you noted, you said 1914. Let me take it back one year, 1913. Sure. Los Angeles County adopted its own charter. So it no longer had to do things the way the state said they had to do. They still had to elect a sheriff. That was still in the, the state constitution. But they got rid of the spoils system where if you supported a sheriff, you would get a job. And if you didn't support the one who ran the election, you'd get fired. All, all that was thrown out. And beginning in, in 1913, it was a little bit – I think we would look at it a more, as a more modern system of choosing your sheriff. And one of, the, one of those old cowboys uh, was the name, uh, by the name of John C. Klein. He, um, he defeated – the uh, the candidate who was supported by the county board of supervisors. Now, county boards of supervisors are, are ultimately in charge in uh, in counties in California, and the board of supervisors didn't like that, and they they sued this guy, the sheriff John C. Klein, who by the way had, had served several terms previously. And they they sued him for misfeasance of office. They said that well he uh, he, he took payoffs for uh, for traffic tickets and things like that. Ultimately, the court threw him out. And from that time forward, after the Board of Supervisors appointed somebody to replace him, a, a, a new sheriff named William Traeger, by the way, apparently a former member of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, every sheriff in California from then until just a few years ago, in some way or another, designated his successor in, in, in collaboration with the Board of Supervisors. So the voters voted. But the sheriffs would tend to appoint an undersheriff and then resign, retire in the off years with the understanding that the Board of Supervisors would appoint that undersheriff. So the voters were involved, but not really. And you mentioned that that changed potentially a few years ago. So it sounds like that practice isn't happening anymore. One of the things I'm curious about is, am I right about it? that not happening anymore. And and whether it is or not, are sheriff elections in LA County, say over the past, you know, two, three, four elections, have they been competitive? And you had also mentioned this. So I, this is a bunch of questions, but you had also mentioned that, you know, in the 1890s, there were these four guys who were, you know, part of these different political factions. So is the sheriff position, does it tend to have a political leaning in LA County, such as Republican Democrat style? Or is it just, you know, some some folks who are either, you know, former police officers or or something else? So I guess the questions are, you know, is the is the appointed uh, successor still going on? Are these elections fairly competitive? Oh, and uh, are there still political parties or factions that sheriffs tend to represent? So let's let's start with the political parties. A hundred years ago, we were talking about what things were like in the in the cowboy era, right? And at that time, yes, they were politically affiliated. So so a sheriff would get nominated by a political party at a big convention of political bosses in town, and so sheriffs were known as oh, this is the Republican one, or this is the Democratic one, or this is the more liberal of the two democratic ones, right? That changed uh, when, when the county, at, at about the same time, the county adopted its charter. So sheriffs in, throughout California now are officially nonpartisan. So you no longer run as a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, you sort of announce your allegiance by making it clear 
any one of a number of other things. So you're a pro-reform sheriff. We don't have a lot of those in California up to this point. Uh, There is a sheriff who is backed by the sheriff deputies union. So that would suggest that that person is more of a a tough on crime type. And then there there are personality uh, conflicts as well. So a, a sheriff will sometimes be challenged by a deputy because the deputy doesn't like the way they've run the office. And especially in those smaller counties where you know everybody, then there's a tendency to to take sides based on that personality or that that conflict. But in Los Angeles, uh, in Los Angeles County, um, there, like in other counties, there are no uh, there are no political party affiliations. Uh, we did have that that appointment of successors up until the late '90s. I mean, I, I hope I'm not getting too down in the weeds here, but I will tell you that at the time there was a sheriff by the name of Sherman Block. He didn't designate a successor. He did at first, but then he changed his mind, and that person challenged him. And Block was getting on in years, and soon before the election, he died. And um, so Lee Baca was elected sheriff, and that was sort of the beginning of the end of that train of succession. And then it really wasn't until 2014 that there was a real wide open race for sheriff with, I think, six or seven candidates, each of whom, at least at the beginning, had an equal shot and wasn't clearly the establishment figure in Los Angeles County. And did that continue through 2018? And does it look like it's likely to continue into into 2020? Things, things, have, gotten, yeah. things have gotten interesting because yeah. that sheriff who was elected in 2014, the, the voters kicked him out in 2018. Mm-hmm. One, one of his deputies, actually one of his retired deputies, challenged him. I, let me check that. Two of his retired deputies challenged him and uh, and one of them beat him. So things might be a little more interesting in Los Angeles County for for a while. It, it, it's interesting. I mean, we, we talked about how sheriff elections are not partisan, and yet everybody knew that the previous sheriff was a Republican and that the person who challenged him was a Democrat, and that helped the uh, the challenger win. But the challenger, and I'll, I'll say his name, and it's, uh, it's no secret, his name is Alex Villanueva. He's, he, he, Villanueva. He's been very controversial. And a lot of the folks who backed him, a lot of the folks who uh, present themselves as progressive reformers and wanted him because he thought he would do the kinds of things that they wanted him to do in terms of reform of the jails and in in terms of uh, no longer working with, um, uh, with, with immigration officials to deport people who were getting out of jail. He's disappointed them, and he's also been in some ways erratic, so he's lost a lot of the support that he had before. So in two years, when we have another sheriff's election, I think it's going to be very interesting again. So I'll pass it back to you in a second, Xander. Thank you for, thank you for entertain, or humoring my line of, of reasoning, because we got to the place that I hoped we would which is that, hey, look, these elections matter, right? There are a lot of, you know, there are plenty of elections where, you know, where especially at uh, hyper-local levels where often things aren't competitive, often there are no challengers, 
Um, often, you know, someone has such is so well entrenched with local interests that they're unbeatable, et cetera, et cetera. And it sounds like, you know, in LA County, the, you know, the, the county of the second biggest city in the country that, uh, you know, and it's probably the case in many others that this is a real election with real, you know, with real potential to, to bring forth dramatically different, or if you don't want it to be, right, slightly different or the same policy from before. And so it sounds like, you know, from what you painted, my my take on this is this sounds like something where anyone who's interested in law enforcement reform should put their attention to, because it could, you know, their their attention, their advocacy, their vote, you know, could make a real difference, not just, you know, certainly in, in the person who's in charge, but uh, by extension, the, the way that law enforcement is run in their county. Well, I, I think that's right, Eric. And I would say that I do think that after 100 years, we have finally gotten to the point in Los Angeles County where not it, it matters not only who the sheriff is, but there's an understanding now among voters that it matters who the sheriff is, that it makes a difference in how the county is run and how people are treated. So maybe we can use the now that we're back to the election bit, use this as an opportunity to extrapolate a little bit. So folks who don't live in L.A. can kind of get a sense of what issues they can begin to consider when it comes to election time. Now, Eric, you mentioned a moment ago about sheriffs and policy. But, Robert, as I understand it, sheriffs don't technically implement policy, but they decide how law enforcement policy should be enforced. Is that correct? Yes, that's generally correct. But I think with that power of deciding how things are enforced, that really is a policy decision, right? So the, so the laws can be on the books, but given the power to decide how they're enforced, the sheriff is making a policy decision that you might otherwise think is solely in the hands of the legislature. Got it. So maybe that distinction is not not totally worthwhile. Sheriffs have some sort of role to to play with policy. In that case, what types of flexibility do sheriffs have when deciding how to enforce the how to enforce the law and how that translates into their policy? And in the case of Alex Villanueva, what what have some of the maybe controversial things that he's done in the last two years? Uh, why have they stuck out? And what other metrics should people begin to think about when they think about electing sheriffs? I think it's important to remember that unlike police chiefs, who are generally chiefs of police in cities, sheriffs are, are the chief law enforcement agents in counties, that a county sheriff has two distinct roles, and one is to run the jail. Uh, so so the, uh, a, a sheriff is a prison warden, in a sense, or at least a jail warden in a way a police chief is not. Plus, the sheriff is going to do frontline law enforcement uh, patrol, the way poli- we generally think of police chiefs doing. So that's that's uh, combating crime, investigating crime, and being on patrol to prevent crime. And sheriffs, at least in, in larger counties like Los Angeles County, sheriffs enter into contracts with other cities that don't have police departments and instead contract for the sheriff's services. So in Los Angeles County, there are 88 separate cities, city of Los Angeles being by far the largest, but, but just one of them. And the city of Los Angeles, of course, does have its own police department. But there are 40 of those cities 
in Los Angeles County that don't have their own police departments and they contract with a sheriff. And so the sheriff is in some sense a businessman running contracts and fulfilling them um, and, and hoping to give cities the sort of value that they seek in contracting with a sheriff instead of their own police department. So on the jail side, your question goes to what what incarceration policy should be. A sheriff has some discretion over how long to keep a person in jail, especially if it's for a lower level misdemeanor. So if your jail is close to full, a sheriff has some flexibility in saying, you know what, you were just arrested for possession of Oh, let's say uh, just for the sake of argument of uh, of methamphetamine, right? But it, the sheriff might say, "Oh, but it was a very small amount." Uh, yes, you broke the law. Yes, it is a misdemeanor. In fact, a few years ago in California, it would have been a felony. Now, now though, it's a misdemeanor. The sheriff can decide. Yeah, I think that's a pretty serious uh, a, a serious charge, even though it was a small amount. And I can keep you in jail in six months for six months, and I'm going to do it. Or or the sheriff can say, yeah, you know, we've got bigger fish to fry in this county. You, you know, come in and check into the jail and I'll keep you there for a day or two. And then I'm going to let you go. And, um, uh, and, and, and I, you know, maybe, maybe under supervision or, or maybe not even under supervision. So that's, that's, a real, that's a real policy decision where the sheriff doesn't have lawmaking power, but because of his decision-making power, really makes quite a difference. And then you multiply that hundreds and thousands of times, the sheriff is the is one of the people with the greatest discretion over how how many people are incarcerated, what they're incarcerated for, and for how long. Huh. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's it, it, what one of the things I love about the um, pedigree and and quality of the folks that we get to bring on reconsider is I always learn. Uh, it's it's never these these are never sort of like softballs where we know the answer already. And and even I am learning you know just some of the breadth of power that these sheriffs have and and the implica- you know the potential implications for all sorts of concerns that folks have. So not only about, you know, the interface between, you know, the, the deputies or, or officers and the people, right. Use of force and, and other concerns people have, but also the criminal justice system as a whole, um, you know, and, and how sentences are, are 
carried out. One question that just came to mind as you as you mentioned the breadth of power that sheriffs have is not just about use of force, which which is the obvious thing that you know Americans are very concerned about right now, and um, you know and sheriffs have control over, but also with sentencing. I'm wondering if there is any controversy or has been or any study into or or scrutiny over how that discretion in sentencing and other you know other options for the sheriff uh how that discretion might be used to in racial or how racial bias might impact that discretion so is that something that you know some of the more you know something journalists such as yourself are researching about the sheriff's discretion and you know have you tentatively found anything um, interesting about the the current or, or past sheriffs um, regarding potential racial or other biases in their decisions. I will say that at the Los Angeles Times, our news reporters have done several interesting stories about the sheriff and um, and racial discrimination. So there was a story several years ago about the sheriffs stopping and arresting people on 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 the the i5 you know the 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 uh, one of our freeways um near uh near the grapevine right 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 uh within Los Angeles County and uh the finding was that the sheriff was or, or the sheriff's deputies were tending to stop disproportionate numbers of latino drivers as opposed to other drivers and uh searching their cars for uh for and so can we establish just based on that that there was racial discrimination? Well, uh, th- there's certain, certainly a prima facie case just based on the numbers. So in that sense, a sheriff, just like any other law enforcement agency, including a police department, uh, is subject to that kind of scrutiny. And, and there, yes, there, there, uh, there have been problems. Um, let me give you a different kind of example, though, if I could. The sheriff, just like any, just like a police chief, has the power to decide whether and how to discipline a deputy who commits misconduct, whether that misconduct is excessive use of force or lying on an official document or in a police report or something like that. And I think sheriffs actually have a little bit more power on that kind of thing because we were talking earlier in the program about how – how sheriffs don't really have a lot of oversight the way that police departments do. And sheriffs can kind of make their own, set their own standards um, in, in deciding how and whether to discipline a deputy for misconduct. And so it's certainly possible, and we have seen patterns where a, a, a deputy will be accused of a pattern of misconduct, maybe excessive use of force, uh, more against, for example, African Americans. Uh, than uh, than others, and the sheriff affects how that policy uh, continues or is stopped by deciding how to discipline that deputy. So, so one of the problems that has been cited with um, Sheriff Alex Villanueva in Los Angeles County is that there is a concern that he's gone too light on deputies. In fact, when he first became sheriff. He rolled back discipline that was already being imposed against some deputies. When I say rolled back discipline, let me be clear. 
uh, a rolled back discipline sounds kind of fluffy. There were yeah. deputies who were fired by the previous sheriff who this sheriff brought back, mm. right? Fired for cause that this sheriff brought back. And this and 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 Sheriff Villanueva's, Villanueva's position was, well, yes, but those deputies were treated unfairly. The deck was stacked against them. I would argue differently. Many folks would argue differently, but it's 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 one of the powers that a sheriff has. And this sheriff has locked horns with the board of supervisors. It's really the first time that I can recall, again, over that last hundred years, that a sheriff and a board of supervisors are at odds. And they're at odds over something very important, right? So on the one hand, it's about whether a deputy is going to be disciplined. But in a larger sense, it's about whether, uh, what kind of, what kind of control the county has over deputies and their actions. And do you know if this relationship where the sheriff is essentially, well, I mean, sheriffs are elected, uh, that lack of oversight, does that exist in other counties to your knowledge as I well? I think it's, it's, it exists in most counties because there is this tradition that a sheriff is accountable to the voters and only to the voters. Right. And in fact, uh, sheriffs uh, say that and they argue that all the time. In fact, there is a movement in the United States uh, called the Constitutional Sheriffs Movement, uh, under which uh, sheriffs, usually on the far right of the political spectrum, they will, they will argue and they will assert that they are the sole authority in their county, that they exceed federal authorities, and that they are accountable to no one but the Constitution and the voters, and the Constitution in the way that they interpret it. So, so there is a tradition of this inordinate amount of power on the part of sheriffs. In California, we're starting to push back against that. In Los Angeles County, let me back up. In, in San Diego County, some years ago, they amended their charter and had a citizens commission that in some sense oversees the sheriff. Los Angeles County did, this, did something similar four or five years ago. And now just this very year, there was a bill adopted by the legislature that is pending on the governor's desk be interesting to see whether the governor signs it or not, that specifically authorizes counties to set up these commissions that oversee the actions of the sheriff. But do the commissions really have any power? Not formally. We're still in the early phase of this and trying to figure out what kind of power a commission can exercise. Now, they can't fire a sheriff. They can't dictate to the sheriff any changes in personnel or policy or anything like that. But they are a place where people can go, sort of a focus to um, to funnel concerns about how the sheriff is operating. And it'll be interesting to see whether more of these commissions are set up, and if so, whether sheriffs just defy them, and if they do, whether there are political consequences to pay for that defiance. Yeah, and you've made the point in some of your articles that <clears throat> chances are there may not be because a lot of voters won't even follow essentially what's going on with their sheriff unless they know someone who maybe interacts with the criminal justice system in jail or there's a scandal. Um, but another idea that you presented that is really interesting, because when we started off uh, our focus here at Reconsider on sheriffs, initially, my idea was uh, elections mean more accountability. But I, I really hadn't thought about the idea of checks and balances as it relates to this office. And in one of your articles, um, you and the LA Times editorial board wrote the following about sheriff impeachment, quote, sheriff impeachment would not be parallel to presidential impeachment because county government is so oddly assembled with supervisors who act as ex executives as well as lawmakers. Proper county checks and balances would require a strictly legislative board 
with either a mayor-like elected executive or an appointed county manager who in turn appoints a sheriff in much the way that cities pick police chiefs. And the idea here is because the sheriff is elected directly, there don't exist those checks on the county executive to the same degree as they're due at, at the federal level or even at the state level. So at Reconsider, something we really try to do to kind of cut through the partisan division is focus on shared values. And I think if there's if there's anything that Americans can agree on right now, which maybe there isn't, um, it's it's that at least we kind of still believe in democracy and checks and balances. So that was a very interesting idea to me. So focusing on that shared value for folks who do believe that constitutional and checks and balances should exist more at a local level and people who really want to focus on local government, how could they go about getting involved advocating for that change? Well, you talked about voting and voting is important and it's a start. I would argue that it's a necessary start, but it's only a start because as you just noted, uh, voting is not enough by itself. It's important what kind of structure the person that you voted for and who is elected operates in because you also want to be voting for your county board of supervisors and your legislature and all of that kind of thing. Um, in a smaller county, I think it's very important to um, to go to your board of supervisors meetings if you have concerns and express them. And in, in a smaller county, they will be heard, right? The sheriff might be there and might hear what you have to say in a larger county like Los Angeles. It has taken a level of organizing that is um, in some ways astounding. There, there are changes in Los Angeles County that began several years ago and are going on even now because of an organizing effort that was done by families of people who were locked up in Los Angeles County Jail and who were being uh, abused. We didn't talk about this, but there was a, a scandal in the LA County jails that deputies were, um, were beating and otherwise abusing inmates illegally, unconstitutionally. And it was hard to get anybody's attention, including at first the attention of news outlets like the Los Angeles Times. There were lawsuits and we covered them, uh, but it took a long time of organizing on the part of, of these family members uh, who are, who represent a lot of folks who, um, aren't necessarily a majority of the folks who vote for sheriff, right? So if we think ethnically, we think of um, well-to-do white folks who are, who are um, uh, regular voters who don't really follow much what the sheriff does. And then we think of African-American and Latino communities whose families are more directly affected by what the sheriff does. And it took a long time, but they organized and they made their presence felt in the county, they made their presence felt in LA County elections. And so kind of a long-winded answer to your question about what people do, that's one example of what people do, is they organize. They find people of like interests and they identify problems that are not being addressed and they, uh, they make sure that their voices are heard. So I think this is a great moment for our listeners to get to learn or to get to think about what action they'd take, um, you know, in the run up to November, because there's time to, you know, at least mount a bit of a campaign, you know, to educate friends, et cetera. And so 
for everyone who's inspired by this and they say, look, I want to I want to get involved. I want to influence who's sheriff and what their policy is going to be. You know, what's the best place? Where's the best place to learn about, you know, the record of the current sheriff or the platform of the next sheriff? Um, I suspect if, you know, I'm in San Mateo County, I suspect if I just, you know, Google San Mateo Sheriff, I might get the, you know, just the county's boilerplate website. You know, maybe this is a leading question, but is local journalism the the best place to go digging? That is a leading question. And I thank you for it. <laughs> I mean, I'm an editorial writer for a newspaper. So my first answer is going to be read your newspaper, uh, read your editorial page, find out what folks are uh, on the news side are reporting about what's going on and find out what uh, folks who write opinion for a living have to say about what's going on. But of course, that's only the beginning. And any community that's well served by one news outlet is even better served by two or more. So you want to definitely check outlets whose opinions you don't necessarily agree with, but whose factual reporting you trust. And then if you really want to get into this because there's a particular issue you're concerned with, so maybe it's the treatment of jail inmates or maybe it's excessive force by patrol deputies, uh, you want to find others who are similarly situated. And one of the ways to do that in a county like Los Angeles, where there is an oversight commission, is to go to those meetings. I, I would have said a year ago, six months ago, I would have said to physically go to those meetings. That's not possible right now because those meetings are, are generally held virtually. But you can get an idea of what the issues are and what people are expressing about those issues from tuning in, whether it's Zoom or something else, and, uh, and hearing what folks have to say. So the last maybe one or two questions that that we, I want to throw at you are not about sheriff. When I read through your bio a minute ago, I mentioned that you're involved with uh, coordinating judicial election endorsements for the LA Times. Um, so I want to pivot to judges for just a second. Um, when we did our show about judges four years ago, and I'm I'm kind of abbreviating an hour long conversation into <laughs> you know five seconds here, but the idea was basically. Uh, if you're not an attorney, probably the best thing to do is go to your state bar association or your local editorial board um, or your your local newspaper's editorial editorial board, because the things that really define a, a, what a good judge is not going to be something that a non-attorney has access or experience in. Now, you were an attorney for many years, so I'm, I'm curious when you're working on those uh, judicial election recommendations. What do you look at besides the California bar's recommendations? And for for uh, folks like us who aren't attorneys, is there anything else we could look at? Well, what we do at the Times is we talk to a lot of people. So we talk to the attorneys who have worked with or against the person who is running for judge. We talk to other judges when that attorney may have when that candidate may have appeared in that judge's courtroom. And what we're basically looking for is whether the person uh, has uh, integrity, has a reputation for honesty and fair dealing, because if they do as a lawyer, where you're you're working for one side against another side, if you have that reputation there, there's a, a relatively good chance that you're going to be even-handed 
on the bench. So we're looking for integrity. We're also looking for ability. So we want to know that that person has not just that they've practiced law for a long time, but that they have a reputation of having developed some expertise and knowledge of the law. And then there's also sort of intangibles like um, uh, like your ability to command a courtroom without being overbearing. And the only way you can figure that out is to spend a lot of time talking to the candidate herself or himself, and again, talking with other people who have worked with that person. And there's another way to look at judicial elections as well, which we generally have avoided. But but I always wonder about whether we should do it more. Uh, we like to recommend candidates for judge based on their ability and their integrity and not based on their their positions. And yet we have advocated in other arenas changes in the criminal justice system that we think are important that would be that that would provide a greater degree of fairness to for example criminal defendants uh, we look for judges who are open to diversion programs rather than people who want to um, put everybody in jail even if that's not necessarily the appropriate solution so I sometimes look at those things as well, but in California, the number of judges that you elect compared to the number that the governor appoints is relatively small, so you're not going to make a profound change in how a court operates. So that brings us back to square one, which is let's get people on the bench who are capable and are fair and who have integrity. That doesn't always make for the most riveting newspaper editorial or endorsement, uh, but I think that's the best the best that's the best service we can provide. And and for a voter who wants to find out that kind of thing on their own and doesn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time calling up people that this candidate may have worked with or for or against. There are sometimes, not not always, but in California, or I'm sorry, in, in Los Angeles County, every year, there is at least one forum for judicial candidates where you can come and hear them speak and sort of size them up. And you mentioned the Bar Association. Uh, every county has a Bar Association. Let's be clear about that. what that is. It's not like the State Bar of California which is the official licensing organization and uh, has an actual official role in the state. The Los Angeles County Bar Association or any other county bars association is a group of lawyers who get together for professional reasons. And some of them, including in LA County, they have committees that spend a lot of time vetting judicial uh, candidates and they will rate them. So in LA County, for example, they, they rate their candidates uh, as being well qualified, or excuse me, exceptionally well qualified—that's a new highest highest ranking. Well qualified, qualified, or not qualified, and those are interesting and they're important. I will tell you that the Los Angeles Times editorial page has endorsed candidates that have been found by the county bar to be not qualified because we've also done our homework and we don't necessarily accept their ranking. I will tell you, though, that more times than not, 
we're sort of on the same page. So I guess maybe as a wrap up question, just because it's, it is exciting that we're chatting with uh, someone who works um, on the editorial board of the LA Times. When it comes to local elections, is there something really important that we should have asked that voters should be aware of when they're doing their research in the next two months? You stole my question from me. That's the question I always <laughs> ask anyone who I'm interviewing. Is it the, always the last question? Is what should I have asked that I didn't? And now that you've asked me that question, I'm a little stumped. I don't. I don't know how to how question. to respond. <laughs> I, I, except except to say that it's important to recognize your role in the civic organization and the importance of that role in the civic organization, and to remember that. The people that you elect work for you. And like any employer who makes lousy employment decisions, you'll suffer. If you make good employment decisions, it's because that you've thought them through and that you've coordinated with the other employers. So in the case of LA County, that's 10 million other people. Uh, so hard to coordinate with them. But still, if you do your homework and you know what you're doing, even if you don't get better candidates, you will have a better idea of where they're going wrong and a better ability to exercise some power to do something about that. So I'm so glad you said that. I'm, uh, you know, I had been sitting here with this energy and I want to, I want to piggyback on it a little bit because, you know, even the, the fact that you're listening to this right now means that you have a much higher level of engagement than the average voter by far. Right. You're listening to the three of us talk about local elections of judges and sheriffs rather than watching Tiger King. You might also watch Tiger King, but you are listening to this podcast episode. And those of you who have been with us for a long time, the considerate community, you have an exceptional level of engagement and education. And this means that this means two things. One, you're probably already an influencer to a large number of people around you. And two, you are more prepared to be able to do this kind of research than the average voter. 2020 is a year where many of us feel powerless, right? Where we feel trapped, where we feel we are at the mercy of circumstance. But 2020 is an opportunity for you to make the move to get more deeply involved in your local elections about the issues you care most about, if it is criminal justice reform or police reform, right? Hopefully this series of episodes and the tools that we provided, um, the insight from Mr. Green has given you a spark to say, you know what, I can go do this research. I can make an, a very informed decision and I can help my friends and my family who follow me and trust me, or at least I can write eloquently for them to vote with me, right? And if you, in particular, if you don't live in a massive county, you could be the difference. Um, and even if you do live in a massive county, there's potential that your work spreads because the engagement level with you know, these issues of criminal justice reform and police reform are so high in this country right now. It's an incredible opportunity for you, for us as a nation. Um, I hope you guys get to it. Robert, last, last thought I have for you is, uh, is this, or last question I have for you is this, and, and hopefully I get the answer I want. In, you know, in LA County, the 
sheriff election is off cycle uh, or it's off the presidential cycle. So, uh, you know, voters don't show up to the polls nearly, uh, you know, at, at nearly as high a level. But do you see in L.A. County or other counties in California that the total vote count for something like sheriff or judge is substantially lower than for Congress, Senate, president, even mayor, et cetera, the implicate, if yes, you know, the implication being, you know, does, does your vote matter even more or your family, you know, and friends vote matter even more in these kinds of elections? Well, so I think you hit the nail on the head. Yes. Um, the, the vote count is generally lower for certainly for things like superior court judge and for sheriff as well, which means that you have a better chance even in a county of 10 million people like Los Angeles County. And of course, Los Angeles County is the only county of 10 million people. It's the largest county in the country. But even there, with, with such a low voter turnout for those offices, you do have an enormous amount of clout. You can make a big difference. And being a citizen and exercising your powers as a, as a citizen is not being a nerd. It's being an owner. It's being somebody who, uh, who, who takes responsibility for the things that, that, that we see every day that we're reading about it in the news. It's your opportunity, your frontline opportunity to weigh in and do something about it. This has been a wonderful conversation and something that just doesn't get talked about enough. So, Robert, I'd like to again thank you for joining us on Reconsider. Thank you both very much. It's been a great pleasure. And of course, to all our listeners, all of the articles that we referenced in this podcast will be available on the episode's show notes. So if you want to read everything by Robert Green that we talked about in this episode, just go to reconsidermedia.com. Check it out. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.